what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start up with some talking And some moody clips and popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some kindness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG With the other Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today I have a kind of longish AD&D session recap that's kind of boring because it was all role play in town, but that's okay. It wasn't boring to play, but it might be a little boring to listen to. Then I have an unboxing with some lows and some highs, and I have another segment of OD&D Oddities where we actually look at something OD&D adjacent. We, we look into Gary's mind for a little bit. I'm sure Joe Richter will appreciate that. Then I have some listener calls, which are wonderful, so we'll open the mailbag up. And finally, we'll do a short section of the AD&D actual play which is basically just going to be finishing the characters up. But before we dive into the show, I've recently been bestowed an honor. I've been given a title by the gentleman over at Grog Talk, so I'd like to share that with everybody, and and then we'll get into the show. But I'm going to play a short clip where I am titled. Jason, by the powers vested in us, by us, through us, for the sole purpose of our pleasure and good fortune, uh, we now bestow the following title to you. You, sir, now will now be known throughout the Grog Empire as the governor, most radiant grandeur, Baron the belligerent hero of the valley. Congratulations, sir. May you long, may you reign in belligerency. Yeah, it's not in peace. Not in peace, in warlike fashion. You can now commence. <laughs> you, you can now attack. You can now attack somebody. Excellent. That occurred on 18 December 2021 during the live taping of episode 94 of their holiday special, which you can find both on YouTube and by the time you listen to this, possibly as a, a podcast, I'll include a YouTube link in the show notes. But with that nonsense out of the way, let's dive into the real show. By the way, if you're confused, the valley, of course, is the Shenandoah Valley. Hopefully I won't have Confederate ghosts coming after me for... <laughs> getting that title, we might have good old Stonewall Jackson or Jeb Stewart or John Mosby. His ghosts coming after me. Although I think Jeb Stewart's ghost is still in the haunted tank over at DC Comics fighting World War II. So, because he had possessed a M3 Stewart and, and was helping that Stewart crew fight the Nazis. So, good on him for that. Okay, let's get on with the body of the show. Session recap, AD&D 1st Edition. This is a game that I've joined, an online game. I'm really happy I've joined it. I'm really having a lot of fun. I This is the second session we, that the group has played. I'm playing two characters. I'm playing Volstag, the Rattan Deshand, a paladin of the Order of Billets of St. Cuthbert. He's an 18-year-old human paladin. Of course, he's human because only humans can be paladins in 1st uh, Edition. He's 5'2", 206 pounds, 
you know, hence the nickname. And he, he's a lot of fun to play. The other character I'm playing is Manos Stargazer. He's an elf magic user thief, and he has a penchant for gambling. He also learned the magic trade from somebody that owed him a gambling debt. And as we'll find out, they might not have taught him everything they know, or more accurately, they might not have been totally honest in what they taught him and might have misled him in some of the notes. And there might be mistakes in some of his spells, which is going to turn out to be interesting. Last session, we, oh, I guess I should cover the other characters in the party. We have Tyrion, a human magic user, Argo, a human cleric, Oak, a half-elf druid, and Owen, a human fighter. Argo, the cleric, has a hireling, Hans, who watches after his pony. Argo is also a cleric of chaotic good and plays up the chaotic part quite a bit. He likes to to, to see chaos and, and to see um, randomness and unrest, which has put him at odds with the paladin already. So we will see how that plays out. We're playing in the world of Greyhawk. So I'm not going to give a lot of details. You guys are going to figure out pretty soon what adventure we're playing, I'm sure. But I'm going to leave the city names and the place names, things like that out. So as not to get a bunch of calls with spoilers too soon. That's undoubtedly going to happen at some point. Last session we ended, the party had met in a tavern. They had grouped together. They agreed they would adventure to vanquish evil and get rich. And, you know, depending on the character, which of those two is important. This session began directly after the end of the last session, where they had gotten rooms there at the inn, except for Owen, who went home with one of the serving women. So Owen, of course, had a great night with with a serving lady. The rest of the characters doubled up in rooms, except for Argo. Well, he doubled up, but it was with Hans. His, his man's his hireling was in the room with him. And some of the characters fortified the rooms against thievery. Others didn't. The rooms, of course, there were no locks in the doors or windows. We were on the second and third floor. Manos, you know, told Oak, the half-elf druid who he was rooming with, that he wasn't worried about being robbed because he would just cast the hide cantrip on himself and nobody would see him. And so hide is a cantrip that will hide two cubic yards of whatever, living beings included, for a turn. Well, a turn's not all night. A turn's like 10 minutes. But Manus obviously misunderstood because the player, me, forgot what the duration of the spell was. So we agreed that this guy that taught him magic as a result of a gambling debt probably put some false notes in his spell book. So some of his spell descriptions, what Manos thinks the spells are, are wrong. And, you know, because I, I made that mistake. So that's going to be fun to play throughout the game as we see what spells I know or and what I don't know. So, And when we look at Manos' spells, that can get interesting because he has, of course, he has read magic, he has burning hands, dancing lights, message. He's a real powerhouse. Um, and then he has some cantrips like flavor, untie, hide, belch, unlock, and whistle. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Um, I think probably the cantrips might be the... I, I don't know. We're going to see which ones aren't going to work because I told the DM not to tell me. 
because I think it'll be more fun if I find out as we go. The Paladin kind of poo-pooed the idea of thieves. They're on the second floor. I mean, how dangerous could it be? And of course, you know, we, we had everybody do random roll do rolls, and the Paladin ended up being the one robbed. So in the morning, they wake up, window the room that the Paladin and Tyrion shared was open, and all of Volstagg's money was gone. So, and to make matters worse, as they, they were woken up by someone walking down the hallways, knocking on doors, telling people the customs officials are here, go downstairs for customs. You see, in, in the town we're in, you have to have a pass to be in town if you don't live there. And then you have to pay the customs officials if you're going to do any business in the town. Well, that's hard to do if you don't have any money. And of course, the Paladin's too proud to ask anybody for money. So they all go downstairs. And this um, customs official, the Honorable Master Gaston Pilar, is doing his thing. He's interviewing people. What kind of business are you doing? Are you trading? Are you selling magic goods? You know, trying to find out. And depending on what they're doing in town is how much he would charge them for that pass. Well, when Volstagg gets up to him, the pouting gets up to him, he obviously has to throw himself on his mercy in a, in a way not to insult St. Cuthbert, of course. But at the same time, he didn't have any money to pay. And the customs official was very sympathetic to him, but obviously he couldn't def- defer the cost. Tyrion, the magic user, volunteered to pay the pass for Volstagg, which put the paladin in the magic user's debt, which is going to be an interesting dynamic as the game goes on. Of course, the paladin will pay him back in gold as soon as he can. Actually, it's like 10 coppers or 20 coppers, I think is what the pass cost. But irregardless, the that you know, debt is still going to be there in the Paladin's mind, so that'll be fun to play out. After that, we were done with the customs officials. The Paladin went to the owner of the inn and explained to him what happened. He told him, you know, of course he doesn't expect the innkeeper to pay him back the money that was stolen by a thief, but he wanted to let the innkeeper know so he could do something to let his make sure his guests were safe. The innkeeper kind of blew him off, but gave him a free thing of meat as kind of compensation and told him that he would, you know, look to improve the security, but the Paladin didn't really think he was going to. Later on, the Paladin saw him talking to a halfling and, and kind of arguing over something, and but he never knew what that was all about. The Paladin, apparently in this land where we live, halflings are, have a reputation as thieves and so the Paladin was a little bit suspicious, but he had no reason to actually go and make any confrontations or do anything further on that. Um, what else happened? Um, they agreed to, they were going to go shopping, so they looked at shopping lists. They approached a couple of people to hire as henchmen, but they decided not to. These were first level fight, a couple first-level fighters claiming to be third-level fighters. Um, and... There was some negotiations, but ultimately, out of the group, some of the players have used henchmen and hirelings quite a bit in previous games. Some have not used them. I think some have had bad bad experiences where henchmen have slipped player characters' throats, it sounds like. Kind of crazy stuff. So some of the players weren't interested in hiring any henchmen. So as a group, the decision was not to hire any henchmen, which is fine. So Manos bought a mule and some extra 
gear and, and we bought some other, you know, extra food, extra lamp oil, traveling supplies, because this is a big city, so we could buy whatever we wanted. So we stocked up on supplies, and that took most of the day. And then the next, well, we came back for dinner, and at that point, Volstag excused himself because he didn't have any money. He had been eating iron rations throughout the day, and he excuse himself, said he was going to go to the shrine of St. Cuthbert in the city to pray all night long, stand vigil in, in preparation for their leaving tomorrow. And of course, this was because he didn't have any money for the inn. And it was also because he wanted to pay his respects to St. Cuthbert, of course. But, you know, he couldn't admit to anybody he didn't have any money. So he, he went off. Everybody else went back to the inn. They got dinner. They tried to get some more information. The druid actually paid the barkeep to try to find them a ship earlier in the day. And the barkeep said that there's a ship called the Black Pig at the docks that would be headed north, kind of the way they were going, not exactly to, to their location, though. So next session, we'll have to try to track down the ship and talk to the captain and see if he'll, he's willing to divert, drop us off where we want to go. If not, we'll have to look for another ship wing hire to take us where we want to go. But that is most of this session. Um, it was a lot of role-playing, like say four hours. We didn't play out buying stuff from the merchants or anything, but we did a lot of role-playing with the innkeeper and the you know, the customs official. And when we were talking to the henchmen that we ended up not hiring, stuff like that. And there was a lot of player interaction between the different characters. So it was a lot of fun. Like I say, lots of role-playing, R-O-L-E playing. Hopefully next session we will, early on in the session, we'll be able to hire a ship and we'll get down the road, right? get across the water, I guess. And who knows, maybe we'll even get into combat next session. But I'm having a lot of fun. So that is my session recap for the AD&D first edition online game that I'm playing in. Unboxing. I've got a mailing envelope here from Biblioteca. No clue what it is. So let's open it up and see. So... One of those yellow mailing envelopes. It's the size of a novel. Something old. Looks like it's falling apart. I don't know if that's good or not. Oh, it's damaged. Wow, that's... um. I'd rather it not be um, water damaged. Because I can't keep it. Now I've got to throw this thing out. That sucks. Because it's molded. Wow. Well... It's Andre Norton's Garen the Eternal, G-A-R-A-N, an epic adventure of time and the stars. But, you know, because they didn't say it was molded in the description, obviously I'll take that up with the seller. Because, you know, you don't want books of mold in the house. Know what I mean? But other than that, you know, it's supposed to be an interesting book. But can't read it. I've got something else I can unbox here, though. So let's try that. Maybe that'll be better. This is internationally shipped. Return to Leeds, United Kingdom. So let's see what we got from Leeds. We turn over the back, and it says it's, um... Well, normally it says what it is. Five printed booklets worth 24 pounds. So let's see what five printed booklets I have in here. Maybe they'll cleanse the mold out of my mouth. Oh, look. 
Spencer also have this, has this solitary defilement. This is, these five booklets are a way to play Morkborg solo. So you can play a solo game of Morkborg. Now, since I'm playing a solo game of AD&D, this and Morkborg will go on the back shelf. And maybe I'll just sell all the stuff without playing it, because Morkborg obviously can't compare to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. But if I ever did want to play it, that's what we have here. So we have... Um, I can't even read this. <laughs> we have the Hall of Sorrows, I guess. That's what this is. No, short, I don't know. We, some of these are adventures. I don't know. I, I'm too old to be able to read this stuff. But one is Escape the Dungeon of the Shadow King and Unforgiving Solitaire by 1D10 plus 5 for use of Solitaire Defilement. Because it says Shadow Clink on it. We have Aqua Mortis, Escape the Sewers of the Shadow King. We have Park Paul, Hunting Necromantic be Bastards in a Slosswig Country Garden. So those are three. They're like three adventures. And then also, we've got Solitary Defiement, an engine of lonesome death. Uh, that 1D10 plus 5 is the company, by the way. Um, it includes a series of moves tailored to Morkborg solo play, introductory oracles to move your story forward, rules for travel and dungeon crawling, and extended gameplay example to introduce the concepts. And then the last thing in here is Alone in the Crowd, Cursed Cities, Doom Drives, and Fantastic Flanors. This supplement introduces new music and all the same thing the other one said. It's a comprehensive city-crawling supplement for solitary defilement. So there we go. Very cool. If I ever get tired of Advanced Dungeons of Dragons, which is doubtful, then maybe I'll move on to solo Morkborg. Um, Morkborg makes sense to me more as a solo game, actually. But I don't know for sure. Carl Rodriguez, the Geomologist Presents, is a real expert because he's actually played more Fork dur during Free RPG Day, I believe. So, anyway, that is my unboxing for today. OD&D Oddities. When you saw AD&D and OD&D in the same episode, did you think... You gotta keep them separated... I sure hope not, because I think that OD&D and AD&D are actually closer related than either are to any of the basic brands of D&D, be it Holmes Basic, BX, or Beckme. Of course, I can only speak the TSR products, not having the later things. OD&D basically turned into AD&D. AD&D effectively is the tournament rules for OD&D. They took the OD&D rules and cleaned them up. I don't think there's any problem talking about both in the same episode. And actually, I'm going to deviate some from my normal OD&D oddities, and I am going to talk about an article in Europa Magazine from 1975. And this article is from Europa 6-8 from April 75, and this is first brought to my attention by Ray Otis. And there's a link to his show in the show notes. Of course, Ray Otis does the coffee cup clip art for me. Very much appreciated. And he did a Gygax 75 challenge a while back. 
and in that it was it went through Gygax's steps of building a world, and that's in this issue of Europa, which you can actually find on archive.org, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes as well. But on page 20 of this article, after the part about world building, it has some very interesting things about characters in here. And that's what I want to discuss. So once you accomplish the five steps of world building, then you're ready to play. But to do that, you have to have characters. So I'm just going to read the, the bottom half of page 20. Actually, the middle to bottom half. Let us further assume that there are four prospects. These players should begin together and for a time at least operate as a team if possible. Each in turn rolls three dice to record various scores for the makeup of the character they are to play and how large an initial bankroll the character begin with. This accomplished, players decide what class of character they wish to be, the type, human, elf, etc., and the alignment of the character. The latter can be secretly told to the referee, with an announced alignment being false. At this stage, each player locates his base to some inn or the like, and then can set forth to explore the town and purchase their adventuring gear. Those that are careful and or lucky might also be able to hire a few men-at-arms to accompany them also. The latter is particularly true if players pool their funds. In a short time, the first dungeon expedition can be made, but that is the subject of part three of the series, so we will return to it again later. Interesting thing in here, he expects each player to have a home base. He also, in this article, so in 75, he's having the players roll for their own stats by, by April 75. Gygax is having players roll their own stats as opposed to GM rolling stats for them. But here's a really interesting part, the bottom of that page, because it it gives you Gygax's mindset towards demi-humans. There is one further subject to be dealt with here, and that is selection of character type. It is pretty obvious that high base scores in the area of strength, intelligence, wisdom, or dexterity indicate the becoming a fighter, magic user, cleric, or thief. See the upcoming D&D supplement Greyhawk to be released sometime before the summer of this year. Greyhawk hadn't been published by the time this article came out, so Thieves actually didn't exist yet. But he knew it was coming out, so he incorporated it in the article. But what about those players who roll just average or worse totals? They are the ones who should take advantage of the non-human types. For these have built-in abilities, despite the general handicap of being unable to work up as high as humans. If the character is poor anyway, will he ever be worked up very high? Possibly, but the odds are against it as a human. But as an elf, dwarf, hobbit, half-elf, or even some other creature, some interesting possibilities exist. It is up to the referee to help his players in this area by pointing out the advantages and disadvantages of each type. What do you do if a player opts to become a gold dragon? Agree, of course. Allow the player to adventure only with strictly lawful types, and normal men-at-arms would never go near even a good dragon. He would be very young, size being determined by die roll. Advancement in ability would be a function of game time. The dragon would normally take about four years to grow to its next level. And accumulated treasure. Let us say that every 100,000 pieces of gold, or its equivalents, the dragon in effect gains an extra year of growth. Counting magical items which go in the hoard as fairly high in gold value. While the player will be quite advanced at first, 
Those who are playing more usual roles will surpass him rather quickly, and in this way you'll not find a gold dragon dominating. Very interesting. So, Gary originally looked at your demi-human races, your non-human races, as a consolation prize for people that roll bad attributes. <laughs> and, you know, this kind of goes into the level limit discussion, and people talk about level limits are unfair, they don't make any sense. But how many people really play long enough to see that happen? So, if you have a multi-class character, um, you know, say an elf or dwarf or half-elf that's multi-class, say they only have two classes, not three, it's going to take them roughly twice as long to advance to a certain level because they have to split the experience between two classes. So your single-class character is going to be, you know, 8th, ninth, 10th level before your multi-class character gets to 4th or 5th level in both classes. And they can't just advance one class. They have to do them, you know, pretty equally. So how many people have really played a game where you start at 0 and got to, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th level? Chances are you're never going to hit those level limit demi-humans have. But if you do, that's okay. Because ultimately the game as envisioned, and again, you can play it however you want, but the game as envisioned is human-centric, and it wasn't to explore the idea of dwarves building mountain strongholds. It was to explore the idea of humans building castles and wizard's towers. Now, you can argue the merits back and forth, and you can house rule the game all you want, but if you take the game at its own merits, there there are pretty solid reasons for level limits and having these characters fade in the background. I'm sure nobody will disagree with that, so I can't imagine I'll get any contentious calls over this. But I like level limits. I like class limits. I like playing the games more or less rules as written. So that's just where I'm coming from. You can definitely do what you want to do in your game. And as long as you and your players are happy with it, you're not playing wrong, at least until you admit what you're doing. So thank you for joining me in this segment of OD&D Oddities. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator scream is coming from inside the house. Jason, Seville Jeff. Latest episode where you are uh, playing Carl's response to Daniel about a living dungeon. He started bringing up how it shifts around. He's looked at that product. And my mind wandered for a moment and thought about that and something we could actually implement ourselves if we like it. Uh, anybody that has mapping software and so forth, if you use dungeon tiles, you could definitely put a certain layout out and then you know, record that And but if you remember which tiles you have then enter in some sort of randomness factor every so often and have them swap around even because most of these dungeon tiles have multiple exits on the edges so you know it might be a good way to do that yourself without having to buy something just a thought later of course that is Evil Jeff of the Minions and Musings podcast Go check out his podcast. Very interesting idea. And definitely that would be a good way to do it if you wanted to have a, a dungeon that did morph.
that call, of course, relates to an OD&D oddity segment where I talked about the mythic underworld and the idea in OD&D where Gary Gygax talks about morphing the dungeon after the players leave, changing the layout and whatnot. And this is also talked about in John Eric Holmes's book, Maze of Peril, a novel, where the you know the dungeon and the underworld, he calls it the underworld there, kind of subtly changes over time. So that that's kind of what Evil Jeff is referring to there. Next caller up is Joe Salvador of Raven God Games. Hey Jason, thanks for the Reaver recap yet again. Um, you guys are always doing a great job with those, and I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we'll see about the mechanics. I, I have some ideas that we can we'll discuss later um, to make it a little bit easier on the GM. Uh, right now, it's a bit I don't know, a bit clunky. Um, but yeah, Worthington Games. Those sound really good. I've heard I've heard pretty good reviews of Worthington. Um, I don't have any of their games. I've never played any, any of them. I know that uh, some of those games are available on um, the Vassal Engine online uh, to play them online. Um, but yeah, I don't have I haven't messed with them myself. Um, yeah, so looking forward to hearing a little bit more about those. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it, and I will report back once I played some of those games. What he's talking about is after Thanksgiving, during a sale, I bought some Revolutionary War era war games from Worthington Games. These are effectively map and chit war games. They they have cards and they have wooden blocks instead of the chits, but it's those kind of games. And they're one or, one or two player games. Once I play those, I'll report back how they are. The other game he mentioned was Reaver, which is the sword and sorcery RPG that his company is developing, and I've been I'm lucky enough to be part of the playtest for. So you can listen to play reports, which don't really delve into the rules as much as just the great scenarios that Joe's been putting forth. But as more develops with Reaver and as it becomes publicly available down the road, I'll definitely let you guys know about it. Also that AD&D actual play is going to be great. I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, have fun with it, and uh, I look forward to listening. Later. But Joe Salvador is not the only Joe that calls into my podcast. Yo, dude, I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> I'd given your listeners a break for the past couple episodes. Y'all are welcome. <laughs> I was having some tech problems, but I'm still out here listening, man. I really, really enjoyed your actual play segment, dude. I was confused at first when you first started talking about it. I didn't know if you were going to have a whole group or if you're running it solo. So I got that cleared up. Thank you. Uh, you have amazing dice lock, dude. <laughs> your stats are your stats are lights out, man. I mean, you, you you got a couple eights and nines in there, but overall those stats are fantastic. So good job. I can't wait to hear more. I'm excited to hear how the party gets together and all that stuff, man. So yeah, take it easy. Peace out. Although this is officially the second segment of the AD&D first edition actual play, it's really more like 1.5. All I'm going to really do is finish fleshing out the characters and then next time we will meet the party and they'll meet each other. So let's go down the list here. This, like I say, will be pretty quick. I don't want to already a long episode. First one we're going to talk about is the Ranger. He is, these names may change by the time you hear them next week, but I've just got, you know, placeholders in here. So we have Bodar the Runner, 
Of course, first level ranger is a runner. I rolled, well, I aged him up. He's 22. So with the age modifiers and the changes you get to the attributes, the final result we have right now is a 18 strength, a 95 percentile, 14 intelligence, 14 wisdom, 18 dex, 18 con, 13 charisma. He has 22 hit points. Um, he ended up being 6'9", 6 foot 9 inches, and 181 pounds. Uh, he's human. I, I think we're going to make him um, tan skin, uh, brown eyes, and brown hair. How about that? Okay. That is Bodar the Runner right now. Um, equipment will get handled next time for reasons that you'll you understand. Next, we will have the Paladin. Again, I haven't really named him. We'll, we'll just call him Gary the Gallant right now, but it'll be changed, I'm sure. Um, Gary is... Six foot four and a half inches, 180 pounds. He's only 20 years old. After age modifications, his attributes are 16 strength, 11 intelligence, 14 wisdom, 8 dexterity, 10 constitution, 17 charisma. He has 8 hit points to start with. Let's give him. Well, we'll also give him um, tan skin you know, tan skin, and then we'll give him, well, why don't we go with red hair for Gary the Gallant? And then we'll go to our next, actually, no, we're not going to do that. Gary the Gallant will have black hair. Let me change that on the sheet. Because we'll give red hair to our next character, Andy the Acolyte. And you'll see in a minute why I'm going to give him red hair. Of course, this isn't true in all places, and there's no reason that fantasy worlds wouldn't like redheads. Although we see that is the case, apparently, in Wheel of Time. But Andy the Acolyte, who is 5'10 and 206 pounds, is going to have blue eyes. He's going to have red hair. Or, no, I'm sorry. He'll have green eyes. He'll have red hair. He, um, what do we have here? He's 19 years old. After aging, this acolyte, first level cleric, 11 strength, 9 intelligence, 11 wisdom, 8 dex, 7 con, institution, and 9 charisma. As you can tell, a very impressive character there. Um, total of 4 hit points for that character. Next we have our dwarf. He's a veteran rogue because he's a fighter thief. We'll call him Vili for now. Uh, Vili is three foot nine inches tall, 156 pounds. His skin is light brown. His hair will be black. He ended up 93 years old, strength of 15, intelligence of 8, wisdom of 12, dex of 14, constitution of 18, charisma of 8, 
His total hit points are going to be six. And that is Vili. Next we have our half-elf twins, Mindy and Mandy. They are both Acolyte veteran prestigers. I think you have to be drunk to say that word. Uh, cleric fighter priests, or cleric fighter magic users, I'm sorry. Half-elves, they're both 48 years old. Um, you, you know, I said they were <laughs> twins, and then I, I rolled different. Maybe they're not identical twins. Well, obviously they're not, because when you look at them, um, let's see, Mandy is five, five and a half, 199 pounds, where Mindy is four, six and 82 pounds. So quite a bit of height difference between the, our twins. Um, Mindy's stats are 15 strength, 15 intelligence, 16 wisdom, 14 dex, 8 constitution, 14 charisma. And she ended up with three hit points total. She starts with the following spells. Read magic, comprehend languages, hold portal, and shocking grasp. Uh, she was able to choose her miscellaneous spell. And there were a lot of good spells there to choose from. It, it's kind of a hard choice. You know, what spell do I want if I can choose any first level spell? But, you know, the idea was a miscellaneous spell, so I didn't want to just grab sleep. Right would have been a good spell to have, as Identify would have been interesting, although we'll see, as we see, Mandy got Identify anyway. Um, of course, Push and Mend are always high up on the list, but that's sarcasm there, folks. But yeah, Comprehend Languages seems like it would be a pretty useful thing, especially because there isn't a huge range of languages in the group. That is Mindy. And our last character is Mandy, another half-elf, acolyte, veteran, prejudiced, uh, cleric, fighter, magic user. Prestige Igitator, maybe? I don't know. If you know how to say that word, a first-level magic user in AD&D first edition, call in and let me know how to say it. Mandy is 48 years old, 5'5 five, five and a half, 99 pounds, so she's like a foot taller than her sister. Um, she ended up with attributes of 15 strength, 13 intelligence, 15 wisdom, 11 dex, 12 con, and 13 charisma. She's got four hit points, and she starts with read magic, identify, sleep, and spider climb. So she came out pretty good. She got to choose her offensive spell, and it's kind of gamey, but sleep is kind of a no-brainer. So we will see how they get together next time and that's going to affect like the equipment they have and all that. So and and we'll introduce them and at that point their names may change. I might give them better names um, and you'll find out about their gods and all that kind of stuff next time we you know join the segment. So thank you so much for listening to me ramble. I appreciate it and we're going to close out the show. I want to thank all my callers. Thank you so much. I want to thank all you, my listeners, for tuning in, taking time out of your day to listen. I want to thank Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art, TJ Drennan for the great music. If you want to call and contribute to the show, you can leave a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. 
If you attach an audio file to it, I can play it on the air and make you famous. If you want to reach out to me on Discord, I'm on a variety of Discords. So feel free to interact. I'd love talking to people. If not, then feel free just to listen. It's all good. I will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Joking about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. Butcher is a dustman and your moil is by a zipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood shipper Don't look away Zombies are arising and the world is gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train.